0: My name is Amy Wilkinson, I'm a White House Fellow. My question is how you would define the key characteristics of effective leadership that allow you to go and be an advocate for good. Trust. The the longer I have uh, been in public service and the more people have asked me about leadership over the years, uh, leadership ultimately comes down to creating conditions of trust within an organization. Good leaders are people who are trusted by followers. Leaders, take organizations past the level that the science of management says is possible. Uh, one of my sergeants back in uh, the infantry school of Fort Benning almost 50 years ago, which is where I learned everything I ever got to learn about leadership, was at the infantry school. And he said to me one day, he said, Lieutenant, you'll know you're a good leader when people follow you, if only out of curiosity. I've never had a better definition, because what he was saying, and, I, and I've and seen it, I've seen it, experienced in my life so many times, what he was saying is, they trust you, and you have built up that trust. How did you do it? Clear mission and statement, selfless service. Um, people look to you and they trust you because you're serving selflessly as the leader, not self-serving, selflessly, and that you prepare the followers, you train them. You give them what they need to get the job done. Don't give them a job if you're not going to give them the resources and that you're prepared to take the risks with them. And so they would teach us at the infantry school, no matter how cold it is, Lieutenant, you must never look cold. No matter hungry you all are, Lieutenant, you must never appear hungry. No matter how how terrified you are, Lieutenant, you must never look terrified. Because if you are scared, terrified, hungry, and cold. They will be scared, terrified, hungry, and cold. I've gotten away with that many, many times in the course of my career, by being scared to death, cold, and wanting to go to sleep. But no, let's go. Let's keep going. Let's go around this corner, if only out of curiosity. And they will follow you into the darkest night, down the deepest valley, up the highest hill, if we trust you. So, the essence of leadership. Is about doing all that the science of management says you can with resources, then taking that extra step and giving it that spark. And that spark comes from getting people to trust you, so that they will follow you if only out of curiosity. Thank you.
1: the Matter of Facts. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. We've been busy. We have a lot of things in the works. The website was redone so that uh, it's a little more efficient. We are in the process of working with different veterans to get some good products out to you guys. Uh, Everything that we would be doing in terms of uh, items for sale wouldn't be in conjunction with... A veteran, So be on the lookout for that. Uh, sign up for the email list. Once you go to the website, there'll be a pop up there and you can just enter your email that way and we can keep you guys updated with uh, new content, podcast articles that are written by veterans and any future plans for uh, medical training, if you want to take any tactical training, we're working on setting that up with different companies uh, as well as hand-to-hand combat stuff, knife fighting, that that kind of thing. Uh, just recently, we started we, – we revamped the uh, article section. The first article that came out was last week written by my friend, uh, Aust- retired Australian SAS major, Dr. Dan Prunk. And it's, uh, it's basically a case study showing a um, – him breaking down one of his buddies was shot on an operation. There's a video of, of the uh, of this taking place and then they talk he talks about how it was treated and gives you and breaks it down and it's really interesting. And then just last night I had the incredible honor and privilege of having uh, writing from Alexandra McClintock who is the widow of Matthew McClintock a Green Beret who was killed in action last year in Afghanistan. And she is a gold star wife and she uh you know, very graciously wrote an article and, and was allowed me to post it talking about, you know, some of her struggles and, and uh you know, what it was like when she learned that Matthew had been killed and, and that kind of thing, and it's it's really touching. So I will, there'll be a link for that in the podcast notes, or you can go directly to that. Just go to globalrecon.net slash articles. Uh, it'll be up there. I had an interesting guest on for this week's podcast a former Army veteran by the name of Carolyn Smith. Uh, she was a professional athlete prior to joining the Army. After 9 11, she decided she wanted to join. She joined, uh, You know, went through her schooling and training, went over to Iraq, and then was wounded. On a uh, personal security detail. I mean, I'm sorry, a convoy security detail. When they're uh, they ran into an IED, and after that, she'd gotten out, did contracting, and and really, it's an incredible story of how she was able to overcome PTSD and and transition out of that, and and now she's doing really great work, and she's listed some really good resources for veterans. Uh, stuff that I'd never heard about. And I'm sure anybody who's struggling as a warfighter, retired, um, you can get some value from it and it'll really help you out. So here's the conversation that I had with Carolyn Smith. Hey, what's up, guys? We have a great episode for you for this week's podcast. I'm on with uh, Carolyn Smith. Carolyn is a U.S. Army veteran. She served over in Iraq uh, she's doing some very interesting things now, and we'll get into that. Uh, Carolyn, what's up?
2: Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: No problem. Thank you. I'm good. We're actually in the middle of a uh, a blizzard here in New York City, so it's cold out. <laughs>
2: um, it's 84 degrees, and I have the AC on here in San Diego. Amazing. Sorry about that. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> not sorry.
1: <laughs> All right, so Carolyn. Um, can we talk about some of your background, like what motivated you to join the military? You know, what year was it that you signed up?
2: Sure. So um, I'm born and raised in in San Diego. Uh, my father was an Army Vietnam veteran. Uh, and nice. my grandfathers on both sides were veterans. One was a Fulbright Colonel in the Marine Corps, other one was Merchant Marine. And of course, you know, warfighter, warfighter town. This is this is the place to be. So I was never encouraged nor discouraged, but I always knew that that was something that I was going to do. Um, but for me, I was, you know, my life was always, always, I was always that unique kid. Um, I actually turned professional when I was 14 years old. I raced a bicycle, uh, for about 14 years. Oh, wow. And, um, most Americans don't know what the velodrome is. Um, but the, the velodrome is a, it's European cycling. It's on a, on a uh, banked oval track. And, um, so I went to my first Olympic trials when I was 19. So that's kind of how serious it was and, um, moved down to Australia when I was 20. And, um, it was a, um, you know, it was a great, it's a great life. Um, 9 came around and for me, I realized that it was time to pivot. I loved my athletic career, but the velodrome is like badminton, right? So if you're going to watch me on the Olympics, you'd have to turn on, you know, the TV at two in the morning and it wouldn't transition anywhere. I have friends who are Olympic athletes and world, you know, um, world champions, and it, it didn't go anywhere because the sport is very obscure. So it was a conscious decision. So about a year after 9-11, I enlisted because I kind of had to finish out some contracts and obligations. And at the tender, super tender age of 29, uh, I enlisted in the U S army.
0: Awesome.
2: And, um, basic training for me was, it was, it was nothing, um, because I was coming off this career and, um, that actually propelled me to top 3%, uh, in basic training, uh, went to, Uh, MP school um, in uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And um, because I was so accelerated, my peers were not only younger than me, but they just didn't have, you know, the life experience that I had already had. i had already had a career. And so that propelled me into top 3%. I ended up going into what's called the fast track program that the army has. And so all that means is that in the very little amount of downtime that you do have, um, I still went to school. So I was getting additional schooling for PSD, personal security detachments, and ID identification, ID defeat, and some other things. And, um, that would kind of be put in my, in my pocket for a little bit later down in my career. Um, I, I was assigned to the 127th MPs out of Hanau in Germany. And the uniqueness for me is I deployed to Iraq in 2004. And I was the cruiser of gunner, so I was a 50 saw Mark 19 gunner, and my area in Iraq was we had from Taji up in the north, all the way down to the 14th of July Bridge. If your listeners probably know where that's at, and um, we would um, patrol and uh, teach the IPs how to how to patrol, how to raid. Um, and conduct daily operations day night ops and those who have been to Iraq or Afghanistan and you pass the MPs on the MSRs that's us um,
1: And how long was it from when you signed up to the time that you ended up in Iraq?
2: Um, so I I was on the delayed entry so when I in San Diego every you know once 9/11 came around everybody was raising their hand so I ended up on a delayed entry because there was just no openings for MPs and I knew that's exactly it was my personality. It fit my personality. So I was on delayed entry from, uh, Oh two. And then I went to basic training in April three. Okay. So it was, it was, it was five or six months. That I was on delayed entry. And, um, so I went to, um, I went to Iraq in 04. Um, and anybody that was there, Oh two, three, four, five, six, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, amazing right. things were happening, of course, as well at the same time, but, um, everything was a daily, you know, it was a daily, daily struggle, um, that everybody had while you're there. Right. So, um, IEDs, car bombs, everything you could think of. And then, uh, September 7th of 04, uh, my Lieutenant and I, we were dismounted. We we're, uh, checking a 5-ton that was on fire on one of the, the MSRs over at Horse uh, force and Huskies, if anybody knows where that's at, it's a horrible place. And, um, sniper shot him in the face and killed him. And he died right next to me. And I think anybody who's been on deployment that loses their battle buddy, especially if they're actually there, um, you become a different person and not, not just, not just a sense of self and, and, uh, and all those things, but you become a very lethal, uh, vengeful person. And it's so different if you're a guy and you have that personality or, or that personality is created part and parcel because of the events that happen. But when you're a woman, it's it's very, very unique, right? So you had to learn to compartmentalize. Um, you were not crying. You were not feeling. You didn't have any of those emotions. And, and you basically just became, um, you know, just like, not that it wasn't just like one of the guys, but it you just became somebody you couldn't recognize and you just chose not to, right? Because all these, you, you got to work, you go to work every day. So um, April 15th of 05, we're actually leaving. We're redeploying back to Germany um, about 18, 20 hours later, whatever it was, but there was a, a fuel tanker transport that needed a, uh, an MP convoy. And that's not something we typically did, um, but we were the most experienced. So, so we did a fuel tanker transport, And uh, they
1: just needed a a security detail.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, they needed escort. Right. So they were going from biop over to Falcon off of Irish. If if you're, you're, I know your listeners know where that's at. And um, they put a, they put a shape charge on the back of a light pole and it blew right through the blast shield on my saw and knocked me out and sucked the blast in a little bit. And I mean, but it was, you know, a couple seconds came to, continue mission, finish, go back to Germany. And I knew that there was things that were wrong. I knew that I was, you know, I was hurting quite a bit. Um, but at that point in time, it was, it was such a, um, I just wanted to go back to Germany. I was done. And um, that's when we kind of figured out what was, uh, you know, there are some skeletal issues and, and whatnot, but I actually go back to the PSD part. So I actually did PSD while I was deployed. So I kind of had multiple hats which is something, again, women don't really often get to have. Um, So I was running PSD Ops uh, when, you know, the principals would come through. And then when they weren't through, you'd go to your regular uh, team and you'd go, you know, go do patrols. And not on FOB patrols, um, you know, on MSR patrols. And uh, so anyway, before I left active service, because I was was right in that window to re-up, I got offers from contracting companies and I could not turn it down. They hadn't seen too many women that were running PSD ops that had that sort of experience. And I left active service and I went contracting. I I went high threat contracting for some folks out on the East coast and, um, spent the next eight years doing high threat contracting all over the world. And then I also, because I'm not that far away from Beverly Hills, um, I did a lot of work in Beverly Hills. Um, you know, if you go on my social media, TMZ caught me with, you know, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and Tina Fey and all these great names. And um, so I, I, I ended up in slots that women don't usually get to get into in, in, in a long term position. And I don't mean with the Hollywood folks. That's anybody could do that. But some of the teams that I got to get on in in uh, high threat extraction, high threat contracting, it was just one of the most mind blowing experiences because you're around the top people. And I never wanted to be better than a guy. I wanted to be just exceptional with everybody who's exceptional. And of course, 99.9% are all the dudes, which is awesome for me because it's all these super attractive men and and I get to work with them. (laughs) And um, for me, though, I didn't realize how bad my PTSD was um, because in contracting, it's actually a benefit. Right. So especially if you're a girl, right, you're you're trying to to fit in with the, uh, you know, the the retired dev guys and and recon and Marsock and all these folks. And I was so on that that nobody really kind of stopped to think, oh, geez, you have severe PTSD. For me, I was super hyper vigilant, hyper aware, hyper alert, hyper aggressive. I was all the things that you needed. Right. And and for the next eight years, um you know, professionally, the the most amazing career, um, personally, so, you know, so ridiculously in a hole, you couldn't maintain relationships because you're the biggest kind of a-hole on the planet. And then, you know, you're the biggest a-hole on the planet, but you can't un-a-hole yourself. And, you know, and then the injuries were just, they were just compounding themselves. So apparently unbeknownst to, to me at the time, um, Uh, I had a fractured lower lumbar, so I had a fractured L4, I had a slipped L5, and I had a herniated L5S1. And when I got pushed right into the VA system, I would literally get treated. They would say, oh, sweetie, we know women are in combat, so can you tell us how that really happened? And you're like... Oh, that's crazy. It was It was horrible. And, and you'd think it's la jolla California right it's it's, it's the jewel of you know, the Pacific and they would literally be like hey where so where's your veteran you're like it's me so if, apparently if you show up in a summer dress and flip-flops you know you have to be looking indigent and you know slurring your words or something but they said well you don't really look injured and my position was I have a super high tolerance for pain because I was an athlete I was a speed skater as well so you know when I wasn't cycling on the off season you were speed skating so i knew what pain was about i knew how to push through it i knew how to deal with it um and then what they did was is instead of actually they had mris and they knew exactly what was wrong but they ended up putting me on high dose opioids for about five years
1: right and that's just like throwing a band-aid on on, an, on a problem yeah. and not, not really fixing it
2: Yeah. And it made it, it made everything 10 times worse. So it made me an A-hole times 10. And, you know, I couldn't maintain, I couldn't maintain like relationships because the, you know, (laughs) the, the retired, you know, Marine that I would be dating was 10 times worse off than I was. And it was just, everything was so, um, caustic and, but you you can't get out of it because the source of recovery, which is the VA, is they're literally not and they're letting you know. Well, well what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? And it got to a point where I was um, 2014. I was I was circling the drain. Um, you know, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I. Um, was just pissed off all the time. And I mean, pissed off like at everything, you know, if the wind blew the wrong way, I was, I was so angry because my pain level for the last six years from 2014 backwards was a nine every single day, but I have a mortgage to pay. And, you know, so you do your job, you put your head down, you suck it up, you do all those things. And, um, it was, it was, I mean, it was 10 levels past the struggle. And, um, one day I was like, you know what, I'm, um, I'm going to hop off the Coronado Bay bridge and be totally cool with that. But before I do that, um, you know, I'm going to go to my Facebook page cause you, you know, you, if you've been on my social media, there's some, there's some, uh, well-known veterans out there. And, and I just posted once I said, Hey, look, I have, I, I have a, a bit of change, um, saved from contracting. I'm going to take all that money and I'm going to go find my own ortho doctor and they have to do something. Cause this, this cannot be my life. It's not, it's not even a life. You know, I have a home, I have all those things, but I don't have a life. I'm, I'm, I'm so miserable. I'm off the charts. I'm, you know, I'm depressed. My system is so depressed because of these opioids. Now I'm dependent on these opioids because I'm in such massive pain. It's so cyclical, you know, you can't get out from underneath it. Right. And, um, so, Michael Schlitz, who is a, a pretty well-known uh, um, Marine veteran, uh, combat wounded. Yeah, he, I know him. Right. So, he, uh, he responded back to me. He's like, hey, battle, give me a call. So, I called him up. He said, hey, there's a program at UCLA, and it's called Operation MEND, M-E-N-D. It is for Iraq and Afghanistan veterans who are combat wounded and service-connected. And I went there. And it lit- it is a private program and it's not funded by the government. It's not funded by the VA. It's angel donors, which is different from investors. It's angel donors. Right. And, and folks throughout Hollywood, I don't know who they are because you know how liberal Hollywood is, um, donate millions and millions and millions of dollars. And you know, if Michael, you know, Mike's been in that program, I think he's had something upwards to hundred surgeries. Yeah. And the amazing thing about this program is no matter where you live in the United States, they will fly you to the UCLA and a caregiver, uh, if you have one, like wife, husband, whatever it is. They will fly you and your caregiver to UCLA. They will, they will house you at UCLA. They pay for it. They pay per diem. Um, they pay your gas mileage if you're, like, down here in San Diego and you're coming up there. Um, and then they pay, not only do they pay, but they go with you to um, the best doctors on the West Coast, which are Santa Monica, Beverly Hills area. And you get seen by them. That's all paid for. And um, so in 2014, September, I had a multiple-layer um, spinal fusion. But it's so unique uh, because it's with what's called a biomorphogenic. So I'm plated from my L4, L5, and S1. And in between the plates, the, bio, the biotech is enticing my own genetic bone growth back into those spaces.
1: Wow.
2: Right? Technology. Yeah, it's incredible. And it—it's not only is it incredible, but after—and um, the surgery is no joke. I mean, it's multiple layers. It's—it's—they um, went through the front because all the damage is out to the front. And it was ironic because one of the best doctors on the West Coast, Dr. Shammy, who's my doctor, he sat down. And he said, "You have one of the best medical malpractice cases I've ever seen against the VA." because they also had my chat messages between myself and the VA and my doctors and I'm pleading. I'm I'm explaining to them, you don't understand. I'm done. I I I can't handle this anymore and they kept saying they either didn't respond or they were well what what do you want us to do next? Right. That, and that's, that's horrible. It's I'm telling you what. It's and and So about three months after, because it really, you really are in bed for about three months for this surgery. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Um, but after that, I haven't been on anything, but maybe in a leave, um, since, um, December or since Halloween of 2014. Wow. That's great. Right. It's like everything, everything is so different. Like your mind, because when you're on opioids and, and you guys know when you're on opioids, you don't have clarity. Right. right. For, for, for 500 different reasons. Right. A, A because, you know, they they kind of create the haze. But it's you know, you're really just making sure that every single move you make, you have an opioid in your pocket or your purse or your truck or your wallet or whatever. And that's really how you live. Right. And you're like, geez, I'm gaining weight. I need to go work out. But if I go work out, now I'm going to hurt twice as much. Now I have to increase the dose for about three or four days, you know, and everything is, it's just so, um, it's just so mind numbing. It's, you know, such a horrible thing. But for me, um, I went through this as a single girl. It was pretty difficult, but, uh, you know, my mom helped me a lot. And, um, and then, you know, one day it didn't hurt so bad. And but the doctor, you know, he says, Hey, the days that don't hurt are the days I really need you to do nothing because that's how people um make the mistake that, especially after multiple layers of, of effusion, um when you feel great, I don't want you to do anything. You know, and I'm Italian, I like to eat, so <laughs> my pants are a little tight. <laughs> right? So, um, I've I've never felt this good. And that's what, and the program nurtures you in all these different ways. You know, I'm service connected for a TBI because of course been knocked out a couple times and the VA, they service connect you, but they've never done a brain scan. And so with UCLA, I'm going back up next month and they're going to do a whole neuro exam, like a full scan. So we can figure out why is my memory so bad? Why am I having migraines? Why have I had migraines for the last six years? And but those things are still minimal in in comparison to what i had been through the last 11 years. And sometimes sometimes honestly I try not to think about it too much, but sometimes I'm really, really pissed off that I'm I'm I'll be 44 in May. I've never been married. And I have no kids. And if the VA had done what they should have done in 2006 when I came back, you know, life may have been different. I mean, it may have not, but, you know, I try not to look backwards too much, but that's really how bad the VA system is here. You blink your eyes, it's decades later, and, you know, you're still either in the same position or, you know, whatever. So there are programs that are out there um, like UCLA's Operation MEND. And uh, so I encourage everybody to take a look at it. If they want to know more about it, um, let me know. Um, And it's not like that other project program where they let everybody in and that sort of sucks up all the funds. This is for seriously, you know, wounded folks, um, PTSD, TBI, uh, ortho neural burns is basically what they cover. And, um, it's a, it's an amazing program. And what it did was is it gave me the opportunity to be me again. And yeah,
1: that sounds incredible. I mean, the, you know there are some great programs out there i've never heard of that but that really sounds like a great resource and uh, i know that the audience you know people listening to the show they have we have combat wounded uh, veterans from all across the services and i know that'll be an incredible resource for uh some people you know
2: right and and you know that's 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 a luxury i have now doing all the you know podcasts and whatnot to operation men is, it's almost like a maserati right? If you know about it, you know about it, but it's not advertised anywhere. And it's not that they, you know, they, they mean to do it that way. It's just, they really want to be as cautious as possible. So they don't turn into one of those other projects that, you know, like I said, lets everybody in and kind of sucks the funds away from those that are at the point where the VA has let them, let them down. And literally, you know, that's why our and, you know, people talk about, you know, 22 a day, but that's such a misnomer because the state of California, and I think even your state, isn't federally required to report veteran right. suicides.
1: Right. So the, the number is actually higher, but, th- you know, they're right. not really sure what it is.
2: Yeah. And that's, I mean, if you think about it, you know, oh my God, we we, we need 10 of these programs, you know, if we could. And I know that, that people are like, oh my God, it's all the way out in UCLA. But if you're if you're a veteran brother or sister of mine and you want to get in a project, let me know. I'll come out, see if you need anything. Um, and and they even connect you with a battle buddy. So they will connect you with a family in the area. And the family will, while you're there, before what if you if you get a surgery or don't get a surgery or PTSD or TBI therapy, whatever it is, they'll take you to movies. They'll take you to dinner. If you don't feel like going out. They come to your hotel, they drop you off a pizza, whatever it is. It's an amazing That's awesome. it is literally a head-to-toe program. And not only did they just treat my spinal injury, but they sat me down. And they said, Hey, look, you have to be you have to have depression from this. You have to have all these other symptoms. And it's it's like a one-stop shop. So they do the PTSD therapy because they know that is part and parcel of having this sort of injury because of the story behind it. Right. And then they also know we're going to have TBI issues and all these other issues. So they really look at you holistically and 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 take care of all of you. And then and then they also take care of your family and and do counseling with your family so that the new you, because the one thing my mom keeps saying um, is, is, well, we can't wait till the old you comes back. You know, it's a little bit different. I'm like, but the but but this person here brought me home. So you have to, you have to figure out who she is. Right. Right. So, and, and I, I hear that a lot when I do, um, a lot of guest speaking is, you know, well, my husband's not the same guy. No, he's even better. You have, you have to know who this new man is and a lot of things about him or a lot of things about her, um, are going to be different and you have to embrace it and you have to figure out how to do that and that's the most important thing's cuz you you know that i mean the divorce rate so high especially if you have injury right cuz it goes back to you're pissed off all the time and and your spouse doesn't understand you know they take it so personally and then you're mad at yourself for you know you know making the dysfunction in the family and you can't solve the dis- it's just you know so this program is one of the most amazing one again it's UCLA's operation mend m e n d and it does not matter where you live in the United States; they will get you out there on their dime.
1: Yeah, that, that's really great. I, you know, there, there are several good programs out there, and from the way you've explained it, that sounds like that's really up there at the top. Um, and you know, hopefully, you know, one of the the objectives of us having this podcast and having people like yourself on is to help other veterans and people who need it, uh, because you know, some people come home from war and. You know, they have all the symptoms. They're angry all the time. They isolate themselves, and sometimes the only thing they know about is going to the VA. They go there, and all that does is piss them off even more. And and then you, and that's when you know suicide starts to come in, and then people get really comfortable thinking about it. And then you know, before you know it, and and just to touch on the uh, the twenty two a day, you know, one thing I don't see too many people talking about is a large number of those suicides of Vietnam veterans. And right. um, I've, I've spoken to several Vietnam veterans. I have one who has been on the podcast a couple of times. He was a, a green beret in Vietnam and he served in uh, MACV SOG. And one thing he said, and and, and other uh, MACV SOG green berets have said to me is it's gotten worse over time. Like he said, he didn't experience symptoms of PTSD till 10 years after he got out and he was wounded. And, and that's how he medically retired. So, and I think specifically for Vietnam, some of the same resources were around. And then you kind of had that the country was pissed off at, at the military. Um, so there wasn't the same kind of support as we kind of have now for today's warfighters. Um, so it's kind of a different dynamic. You know, they're, they're known as the forgotten generation. Um, but it's just interesting. And, you know, for, for some people I've talked to, they've experienced that, you know, losing a brother, you know, having them die in his arms in Iraq, you know, special ops guys. And then for years afterwards, you know, he was angry and, you know, taking on the most dangerous assignments, that kind of thing. And you, you, you kind of get to a point where it's like, I can't keep going at this pace, you know, and something has to change. And for some, Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And for some people it's like, you know, you try and figure it out, like, what's wrong with me? You know, what, what can I do to change? And, and, uh, and, and people kind of do all different things to get out of that hole. And it's just interesting to hear the way some people have been able to figure out what's going on and and then move on from, you know, some of the anger and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, it's not, it's not for nothing. But for me, um, you know, if somebody, if you go find me on LinkedIn, you'll see the extent of a very, um, if you didn't know that was a woman's profile, you would never guess that it was a woman's profile. Like if you go read my LinkedIn, um, I worked with all those folks. Um, I was doing high threat extractions and you chase the high, um, to, to, quell the quiet times, right? Cause quietness right. Is, 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 the big enemy. And I was severely isolating. Um, sometimes I'd sleep in my walk-in closet because, you know, I'm like, hey, there's no windows here. They're not going to jump through the windows. Thank God, because we'd get attacked at night. And, uh, and as much as you try and rationalize, it's sunny San Diego. That's not going to happen. Right. It doesn't matter. And it took me – I had to go through what's called in vivo exposure. Um, it's a very intensive PTSD therapy um, because it's not that I didn't – it's not – it's not that I just oh geez I need to change my ways because the problem is is you can't get out of the cyclone once you're in it it, it takes a whole bunch of resources to get out of it and and I'll give you a, a, an interesting because you'd hit on a point that I thought was so interesting I have a, a battle buddy there was only three women total who were cruiser gunners on my deployment and um, and I know you know a, a you know your your co-host is a super you know badass female there's not many of us. Um, not that I would put myself in the same category necessarily, but, um, there's less than one half of one half of one half of one half of a percent of women that are actually in combat. Right. And, uh, I talked to my battle buddy yesterday. She'd, she'd called and she was so agitated. She's trying to get service connected for a TBI. And she went through a couple more IEDs than I did. And I think I had around like 13, right? Cause you're on the MSR. You're on, I, I have to lead in order for me to go to work. I was on Irish, you know, uh, Hell's Highway, and um, she calls me up and she said, "Hey, I uh, went to the VA, I went to my comp and pen for my TBI, and they said, well, you can't have a TBI because you have a you have a degree, you got a degree.'"
1: You know, it's such bullshit the way they do that. Like, it's, it's crazy.
2: And she she literally is, you know, the thing about her is most MP. I mean, I was MP, so most of us are super stubborn, and you know, we do things our own way. And uh, I was telling her, "Hey, don't make the mistake I did. Don't blink your eyes, and it's ten years later." If you know what's wrong, push these people, go scream somewhere else. I didn't do it because I was so stuck into my contracting and you make, you know, it's great money and hang around all the best, like the tip of the spear. And those are positions women don't get to get into. And I wasn't willing to get out of it. So, you know, I was chasing the high with all of them. And, um, but then when you realize, well, geez, I've been through, you know, 16 boyfriends, you know, in two years. I I'm doing something wrong, you know, and, and people are like, yeah, you're super dysfunctional. And I, I I didn't see it. You know, I didn't see it because, you know, you're 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 living on adrenaline and trying to, you know, quell the, the quiet times. And it really took it really took somebody who I'd really had cared about. And he's like, hey, you're kind of a train wreck. And I was so offended. I'm like, do you know who I am? He's like, yeah, you're a train wreck. And, uh, you know, that, that pretty much dinged my ego. But for me, once I got, you know, once I got the surgery and the, the, the pain dissipated and the PTSD had been addressed, I, I mean, I still have triggers and I'm sure I always will. My dad's a Vietnam vet. So I know how they were treated. And what I didn't know is I never knew as a kid why we would not go to like the Del Mar fair huge event here in san diego i never got it all my other friends used to be able to go we never got to go i, I never got it i it was a it's a family thing you know families go and uh until i came home and i cannot do crowds i mean i can't if i have to you know if i'm speaking or whatnot those are things but i don't enjoy and it's a trigger for me to be in crowds because we always got attacked in crowds yeah and when I sat down, it was so weird to sit down with my father, and my father talked to his daughter about combat experience. And it was so interesting how I understood my dad better, knowing that I get why you don't like crowds. I wish I would have known that then, but you can't articulate these things unless you experience them. And that creates all this discourse and relationships. You know, um, you know my my sister, her and I don't get along very well because I have a very matter of fact, bold personality, because that's what got me home. And, you know, and so, Oh, well, you know, stop talking about your service or be a little more quiet about it. But for me, when I, when I kind of, you know, figured out the matrix of, of how to move out, you know, move out, move on, pivot off. Um, I adopted pretty much the same year that I got into UCLA's program. I was on Facebook And, um, I saw a picture from the San Diego Humane Society, these two kittens and this one kitten has this most striking face. And, uh, it's literally, uh, just like God, you know, painted her nose with a, you know, black ink. It's really striking. And I was like, Oh my God, totally want that. I love dogs. I'm not, not, you know, cat lady, but you know, they were so cute. And, uh, I went to the Humane Society to talk to them about it and they said, well, you know, all these people are trying to get these two kittens because they're so cute. Um, but the one kitten, she has a problem. And I was like, well, what's the problem? And she said, well, she's an amputee. I was, and I was, and I, asked, I was like, why is that a, why is that a problem, right? Because I'm a disabled bit. Like, why is that a problem? And uh, so long story short, I, I adopted both of them. They are a bonded pair. Um, Sophia, the little girl, um, she was found. She was about 9, 10 days old. She was found in a field. And her umbilical cord was wrapped around her leg and she had chosen to persevere. She had no nutrients, no shelter, no mom, no, no nothing. And for nine days of her life, she had nothing. And, um, and so they, at, at I think about 12, 15 days old, they amputated her leg and uh, she's an amputee. And, um, so when I adopted them, My whole thing is, you know, the warfighter community, we're problem solvers to the umpteenth degree. So I teamed up with a volunteer tech lab here in San Diego, it's called Fab Lab. And through the course of probably about, I don't know, 16 months, um, we created the first ever detachable 3D printed prosthetic for a cat. And most people, are like you know, the hard charging dudes that are listening, would be like, "Yeah, okay, cat, I'm gonna turn this off," but <laughs> but don't turn off yet, right? Um, so we actually did our first commercial because the Humane Society looked at it as disabled veteran adopts disabled kitten, but then we worked with um, some uh, big companies to do this PSA commercial, and they flipped the script and they said disabled kitten adopts disabled veteran. And it became a platform about perseverance and technology. And in November of last year, um, I published my first children's book, which is completely ironic. I don't have kids. Um, I published a children's book. It's called Sophia, the bionic cat. It is the true story of a disabled veteran and an amputee kitten and how through technology and perseverance we overcame and Amazon picked it up. Barnes and Noble picked it up. Um, Next month, um, 23rd of April, I'm doing a book signing down at the world famous Warwick's bookstore in La Jolla. And if nobody knows where Warwick's is at, that's where Sebastian Junger and all of the most amazing authors um, that we all know um, go there and do book signings. So that'll, that'll be a book signing for me. And two weeks ago, I just got done filming with the Animal Planet, and we are going to be the first episode on a brand new show.
1: That's really great. The show is coming out. Has it come out already, or is it coming out?
2: Um, well, I can't tell you the name. Um, they're filming the end of the the series, um, but it is a brand new show on the Animal Planet. Um, I can tell you that Jackson Galaxy is the host. Uh, so he was at the house a couple of weeks ago for um, about nine hours of filming. And this is, this is going to highlight stories um, that you have not heard before. And the interesting thing is when I wrote this children's book, I tried to pull from every conversation that I am, am dealing with. So I found somebody who created what's called open dyslexic font. So if you have dyslexia, you'll read the book the way I wrote it, not the way a dyslexic brain will choose to read it. So I looked for the newest technology and, and so I can create conversations about them so that at the end of the day, you know, like I said, I do a lot of public speaking now, which has been pretty awesome. I'm a VP of corporate security for a global financial bank. So I have a real big kid job. And on the side, um, you know, I have this platform that talks about how technology can improve lives, not just with you know, the veteran community, but also, uh, in the sort of in the animal community. And it, it enables me to talk to prosthetic companies, um, that, that have considered or do work with veterans and make it a way where this book, Sophia, the Bionic cat, this book is going to teach kids how to make disabilities cool. Is every kid gonna think disabilities are cool? No, kids are kids, right? But what I really want to do is get the kids to start. If it's we're gearing it towards um, the Diabetes Foundation, Brady's uh, Hospital, Shriners Hospital, and you can actually find my book at the Lone Survivor Foundation's retreat. So if you are a family and you go down to the Lone Survivor Foundation's retreat you will see my book there and you'll be able to read it and read it to your kids and have your kids understand you a little bit better. So if you're the, if you're the wounded veteran, male, female, whatever, they'll understand you a little bit better after you read this book.
1: And the Lone Survivor Foundation, that is the one set up by, uh, Marcus Sattel. Yes. Okay, cool. That's great. You know, it's, it's one thing to, uh, use their experiences and your service and the things you've learned and and the kind of changes you've undergone as a person and, you know, use that to get a good job and kind of move forward yourself in life. But it's another thing to do that in a way where you're helping people. And I think that you can't place a value on that. And I, I really appreciate that you're coming on and that you're willing to talk about, you know, so openly the struggles that you've had. And every time that, I have a a veteran who comes on and and talks about these kind of things. The amount of positive feedback that I get from wounded veterans is really astronomical in terms of, you know, like I'll get an email or a comment on social media or anything and just say, hey, you know, that really helped me to be able to hear that story from this individual. And and thank you for doing this. And, you know, it's not so much like, when I do the podcast, you know, obviously I'm, I'm putting the work in and, you know, getting the interviews and editing and everything. But it's really about the guests who are coming on yourself and, and, and others who come on and being able to reach people who feel like, you know, they're kind of isolated and, and helping them look and say, Hey, look, you know, I went through this. It's not a big deal. You can fix it. Look at me kind of thing, you know? And I, I just want to thank you for doing that.
2: Oh, yeah, you know, I super appreciate it. And and, I, and a lot of this stems from the fact that um, I feel like it's not that I feel like nobody helped me. I just I'm trying to I'm trying to give one veteran something in their pocket that they may be able to use. If it doesn't work exactly how I present it to them, maybe they can tweak it and make it work for them and, and find a solution. And then once you get into the position where I'm at, then you can turn around and pivot, right. And, and bring that next veteran in and it's six degrees of separation. We're, we're, we're all closely related because we all, you know, did service. And I think at the end of the day, it's our oath to each other that we have to uphold. And we know that the VA is the VA is a bad, you know, it, it's so bad that, like I said, for me, you know, I'm, I'm pretty open about how suicidal I was. I mean, I never, you know, obviously I didn't have any attempts or anything, but there was no way for me to, there was nowhere for me to go. And suicide, just like you said, it is an easy option, right? Because you just want to sleep. You just want a day without pain. Like you're not doing it to, to, you know, be a bad person or whatnot, but if you if you take one more step, like I did, and and you know went on social media, hey, look, I'm really in the hole, um, and just be transparent and vulnerable with people. And although vulnerability is the worst thing, and for me, um, I don't have a lot of feelings, um, and because I had to compartmentalize them, which is not something by design. So whether you think you're you know, made by God or whatever it is by design. I, women don't compartmentalize, right? We, we are, are nurturing and loving and all those things and compassionate and all of those things. But you know, when, when Lieutenant Price, when he was killed, it, it just changes things. It changes you into somebody that you have to be so that you can look after your buddy to your left and to your right. Cause that's your, that's your oath to each other. And, um, it was in such a bad position for me that um, I knew I wasn't getting out of it. And suicide seemed like a really nifty idea. But I thought, you know what? How pissed off would LT be at me if I took that way out? He would be, Because he, he would yep. kill to be in pain. He would kill to have a bad day. He would give anything. His father, his mother, his brother would kill for him to just be in pain and have a bad day. Right. And that's what it was for me. And it may not be the same for everybody else, but you know, we all have survivor's guilt to some degree. But for me, that was always it in the back of my head. Him going, I will effing kill you if you do that. I will be so disappointed. And the thing is, you don't ever really want to disappoint your buddies. I mean, that's that's one of those things that sort of keeps us even keel um, for the most part. Um, and so that was my push. That was the, I'll give you one extra step. So just take, if you're, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're in that spot, we all get it, but I need you to take one more step. I need you to take one more social media posting. I need you to take one more phone call, one more text message and find that connection. Maybe it's uh, operation mend. Maybe it's not, maybe it's a, team red, white, and blue. Maybe it's a uh, team Rubicon. Maybe it's uh, the Marsoc community, the recon folks or, or, you know, a uh, lone survivor foundation or all of these other resources that we have, but you have to take one more step because that's your oath to everybody who didn't come home with you. That's, that's really, that's really the powerful piece behind this is that it would have been easy for me to just, you know, go the way that, that other folks have. Um, but, man, he'd be so pissed off at me. And, and I couldn't, it was ironic, right? I couldn't live with that feeling of him being pissed, you know, him being that disappointed. And, um, so for me, I am actually in the midst of taking the story with Sophia and from the book. Um, I really want to turn that into a movie. This is going to be a movie where you are going to take your kids to, it's going to be like the free Willy for this generation. And it's a complete true story. Uh, we have the prototype prosthetic on hand and it's kind of being reworked every time. And I will actually be at BetCon up in Silicon Valley next week. Um, and I have the luxury of, uh, you know, talking to some tech companies and, and seeing if other people see what my focus is and what my mission is and, um, and, and make the product that we have even better and the discussion better because you don't have too many discussions with Female combat veterans, but you also will never have a discussion up to this point with somebody who's created a prosthetic that's never been done before. So, a thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor to be here. Um, I know your your uh, your big dudes are again probably not going to be all that thrilled that this is a uh, <laughs> this is a uh, kit uh, story about a kitten, but but there's a bigger there's a bigger conversation right. um, you know behind it. So. Um, I hope that they find the value in it. Um, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can go to www.3, the numerical three pauseup.com. So if you're listening and you are a company, um, or a school district or a children's hospital, um, and you would like, uh, me to come out and speak, or if you just have questions, you just want to know the direction we're going to let me know. Otherwise, you can follow Sophia, S-O-P-H-I-A. You can follow her on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And um, although she does not have thumbs, she does post three times a day.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's really great. And, you know, I, I want to thank you for coming on. And, you know, like you said, anybody in the audience who's interested, any companies, schools, uh, be sure to reach out to Carolyn. And, you know, you, you guys can link up. um you know, I want to thank you for your service, uh, and I want to—I also want to thank you for talking about your your teammate who was killed. And you know, that's that's one of the big things that I really like to do. And and uh, you know, as I, for me, I feel like as long as we remember those we lost and never really lost. And you know, I just want to thank you for doing all that, and uh, thank you for coming on.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Uh, his name was uh, Lieutenant Price, uh, Tim Price. He was with the uh, 127th MPs. Um, he was a Virginia Tech grad and, um, you know, the best leader I, I think I'd ever had even outside of the military, um, you know, in my, in my athletic career. And, um, you know, he's uh, got a scholarship, uh, in his name. It's the Lieutenant Tim Price scholarship at Virginia Tech and, um, great human beings. And, and you're absolutely right. Um, let them drive you. You know, if you're sitting in that hole right now, you're sitting there listening to this thing and. You can't pivot left left or right. I assure you, you can. You just have to find the right springboard to pivot off of. Maybe it's a conversation with your battle buddy. Maybe it's a conversation with your female battle buddy. Um, I, I don't delineate the two male or female, but I threw that out for your recon boys because they're like, "Oh, girls, talk to girls." <laughs> um, but I tell you what, like you know, Rudy is a great friend of mine, and um, nine times out of ten, like all I gotta do is text him and be like, "Hey, buddy, I don't have you in a." I don't have a new picture of you and silkies today. Can you say that for me? It's inspirational. (laughs) And and I tell you what, you recon Marsat guys, you come through every time. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) So again, Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, I hope uh, Operation Mend is uh, something that anybody who's listening. The unfortunate part is it's only OEF or OIF. Um, It's not anything before that. Um, hopefully at some point, uh, it will be, cause again, it goes kind of back to the Vietnam veterans that I hope we can take care of. But I think once we start becoming healed as the, um, OEF, OIF, you know, generation, I think we'll be better at healing those before us. Um, Definitely. cause I don't think we're doing any good to ourselves. Um, you know, the way that we are dealing with the VA. So, you know, get into these programs, find these programs and when you're done, pivot, cut sling load, go forward and do awesome things. Cause that's what we're here for. That's what we came home for.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Carolyn.
2: Awesome. Thanks bud.
1: Incredible story. And I always appreciate having someone on here who's so willing to openly talk about their struggles because I know how much that helps people who are, are listening, who are going through something themselves. And it takes a lot to kind of put yourself out there and be vulnerable. What she went through, a lot of warfighters have went through or are going through. And the way she was able to overcome that is incredible with some of the resources that are out there that she listed. Uh, she's doing great work now with doing speaking and trying to, or, or, or has innovated and, and done some really good work in the prosthetic realm. And they're, they're really trying to push that and, and move forward with it. Uh, she got a show that she's on coming out um, with Animal Planet. Didn't tell me the name. They're still filming. So once it comes out, you know, we'll we'll give her a social media post or shout it out on the podcast. So if anyone's interested, you can just check her out. My website is globalrecon.net. My Instagram is igrecon. The second account is Black Ops Matter. I'm also on Mission Critical. Mission underscore critical is an account owned by my friend Chantel Taylor which I post on as uh, from time to time. I'm on Twitter. Just search IG Recon. I'm on LinkedIn. Search Global Recon. Like I said earlier, we revamped the article section. We got an incredible, incredibly talented group of veteran writers uh, from different services, um, U.S. military, Australian military, British, and everybody has a unique perspective because everybody's experiences are different. And just check it out. You can subscribe. We're going to be sending out weekly updates. Go to globalrecon.net. There'll be a pop-up once you get to the website. Just enter your email address there and and you can get hooked in. So as always, I encourage you guys to subscribe, download, and share these episodes with your friends and family. That way, we can continue to provide you with high-quality content. Check out the article written by Alexandra McClintock, uh, she is the wife of Matthew McClintock, who was killed in action a year ago. Uh, Matthew was a Green Beret, an engineer. Um, if if anybody's on social media has been following kind of in the loop of the military community, when Matthew passed away, we were all very supportive of their family, and people raised a lot of money to help them out, and it's um, a huge loss, but... It's incredible the way to to see that people come together and and support uh, those who are in need. All right, we'll see you guys in a couple of days with another episode. Peace.